Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 477. Prybar of Bright Metal He tried to work the thin end of it under the lid, but couldn't gain any purchase in the hair-thin seam. After a few minutes, he abandoned this as well. Next, Bast tried to tip the chest on its side to examine the bottom, but his best efforts only managed to slide it an inch or so across the floor. How much does this weigh, Reshi? Bast exclaimed, looking rather exasperated. Three hundred pounds? Over four hundred when it's empty, Quoth said. Remember the trouble we had getting it up the stairs? Sighing, Bast examined the chest for another long moment, his expression fierce. Then he extracted a hatchet from his bundle of tools. It wasn't the rough, wedge-headed hatchet they used to cut kindling behind the inn. It was slender and menacing, all forged of a single piece of metal. The shape of its blade was vaguely reminiscent of a leaf. He tossed the weapon lightly in his palm as if testing its weight. This is where I would go next, Reshi, if I were genuinely interested in getting inside. He gave his teacher a curious look. But if you'd rather I'd not. Quoth made a helpless gesture. Don't look to me, Bast. I'm dead. Do as you will. Bast grinned and brought the hatchet down on the rounded peak of the chest. There was a strange, soft ringing noise, like a padded bell being struck in a distant room. Bast paused, then rained a flurry of angry blows down on top of the chest, first swinging wildly with one hand, then using both hands in great overhand chopping motions as if he were splitting wood. The bright, leaf-shaped blade refused to bite into the wood, each blow turning aside as if Bast were attempting to chop apart a great, seamless block of stone. Eventually, Bast stopped, breathing hard, and bent to look at the top of the chest, running his hand over the surface before turning his attention to the hatchet's blade. He sighed. You do good work, Rushy. Quoth smiled and tipped an imaginary hat. Bast gave the chest a long look. I'd try to set fire to it, but I know Roa doesn't burn. I'd have better luck getting it hot enough so the copper lock would melt. But to do that, I'd need to get the whole thing to sit face down in a forge fire. He looked at the chest, large as a gentleman's traveling trunk. But it would have to be a bigger forge than the one we have here in town. And I don't even know how hot copper needs to be in order to melt. Information such as that, Quoth said, would doubtless be the subject of a book lesson. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. And wait one minute. I need to put Toby outside. He's being a bit too crazy. Ugh. Okay, I'm back. He's back. So I wonder what this weapon is. I get the sense that it is something specific and something particularly powerful. Uh, oh. Which is why Bast is so sure that it's going to uh, to get the job done. Oh, see, I don't think it's like a magic axe or anything. I just think it's like a weapon of war rather than a tool for chopping wood. I think that's that's the point of it being made of metal and having a leaf-shaped blade. It's it's like, you know, a, a fairy, you know, the equivalent of a tomahawk or whatever it was those Frankish axe throwers in the Carolingian period were thrown around. You don't think it's magic? See, this is something that I would expect you to bring to the table, not me. This is a real Jeremy theory that he's got a magic axe that can, you know, cut through anything and even that is turned aside no see that that was not my because he already tried magic when he tried to like whisper it open so i feel like he just grabbed what was in his room that was not what was downstairs on the wood pile what was in his room 
which is like a, a warrior's weapon. And maybe he thinks like because it's made of like fey metal that it'll do the job. But uh, I don't think it's like, you know, an enchanted, you know, adamantium axe or anything like that. The bottom of this page makes me wonder if this entire thing hasn't been uh, preparing Bast for the fact that you need knowledge to open this chest, that you don't have the information. And maybe the reason I'm making you read books is because after I'm gone, I expect you to open the chest. That's part of my plan. And you will only get that information if you are studying the things that I'm getting you to study or that I'm telling you to study and you're failing to study. Hmm. Like what if the answer is in Kellum Tintur? I mean, the book he refuses to read. That that's not where the tack of their conversation ends up going. I'm I'm sorry to say. I mean, I'm sure that Quoth would agree with you that knowledge is is power and knowledge is useful, but I don't think that this has all been some elaborate double bluff to get Bass to read Kellum Tintur. No, but if you know, it's not like the ends is getting Bass to read Kellum Tintur. The ends are something even more interesting, but. Uh... Yeah, we, we needn't delve too deeply, too greedily and too deeply into this one. Something that I want to talk about that has to do with the weapon, though, is it's made entirely of metal. So, like, the handle is also metal, which is kind of weird for a hatchet, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like, normally the way you construct uh, an axe, and this is different from the way you construct a sword, as I understand it, is it's like, yeah, like a wooden stick with a piece of metal that goes all the way through it, kind of a right angle, like, and the, the, it's sort of like fitted through a slot in the wood and then like secure it in place. So it won't jiggle around. Unlike a sword, which is like one long piece of metal that they then like wrap a hilt around. And that like does imply to me that it is like, we're meant to think of it as a bit unusual because it's, you know, visually striking, but I wonder if that's just the way that Fey people make their weapons. Like just entirely out of one piece of metal? Yeah. And like that's structurally more sound. Like that's, you know, that's why a sword is made of one piece of metal is because if it was like a piece of metal that you popped into the top of the hilt, then it would snap off if you tried to hit anything with it. Reasonable. That's that's not a weakness that that an axe has as because they're constructed a little bit differently but i think it's still like a, a an interesting point to to raise because it would not be a particularly comfortable grip right if it's made of metal and i don't get I the you sense could that cover the metal in something right but it's not right if, if it was he would tell us probably is there anything to learn from the order of things that Bass tries when trying to open the chest and the things that, like, they're not countermeasures exactly, but the way that the chest is constructed to get past them? Like, it has a copper lock, so it is resistant to fey and to naming because, as we have theorized uh, with ample evidence, copper has no name and therefore is uh, something that cannot be opened with uh, with naming or sympathy. A point of order, it's um, the iron lock that makes it uh, tricky for the fey, not the copper one. Oh, the true. Well, then a copper lock... Names. Yeah, there you go. So it, has, it does have some countermeasures. It has a fey lock and it has a namer lock. Mm -hmm. It has a very thin seam. It has no hinges. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is did Quoth 
have a particular person in mind that he was trying to defend against. He certainly did a good job defending it against Bast. Uh, but did he try to defend it against himself, perhaps? Is this the same tact that Quoth would have used? I think he just tried to make it as difficult to get into for a as wide a variety of people as he could imagine. Yeah, I'm kind of with Jeremy on that one. I feel like, like just in general, when you're trying to like make a safe or something else that's like hard to get into, you want to make it as hard to get into in as many ways as possible to cover all your bases. You know, seems pretty reasonable to me. Because if it has like an obvious weakness, if there's some method for getting into it that you haven't accounted for, well, like you know, that's what everyone's gonna do, right? So you want to make or it as hire someone who can. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's why you hire Aladdin to get into the Cave of Wonders. Um, but one thing that I think is kind of interesting, it's really, really heavy. It weighs, it weighs over 400 pounds when it's empty. And like, that makes me think like, does it get lighter when it's full? Like, because like, I I don't know. It's just like the way that the, the passage is constructed. Bath says, how much does it weigh? 300 pounds. And close says over 400 pounds when it's empty. Which you can read. Well, that implies it gets heavier when there's stuff in it. That's what I take I, away from. I that. mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like the way he says it makes me think: like, is it empty now? Like, is is that like is that going to be the big reveal that like the box is not locked because it has something in it? It's like waiting for something to be put in it, and the reason that it's like the, the fact that it is empty is the reason why the world is the way it is. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I, I dig that. Oh. You know, like, what if it's like Pandora's box? You know, like the the barn door is already open. the The badness has left the station. Hmm. Yeah, it's already been opened. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That that would be quite the reveal if it's not actually, or like if if opening the box is going to save the world ultimately. Like he has to put it back inside, and that's why he laments it is because he it's the one thing he can't do anymore. Hmm. I don't think that it is that something escaped from the box, but I do like that read. Like, I like the idea, the possibility, but I don't think that something escaped from the box. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeremy. As a a great scholar once said, what's in the box? What's What's in in the the box? What's in the box? (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in the box. It's always been in the box. <laughs> Schrodinger's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. That's right. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's head is always in the box and not in the box until you open the box and then the singularity collapses. Oh boy. Gwyneth Paltrow's head is both alive and dead as long as it's in the box. That's right. That's how she can be in the Iron Man movies. What? <laughs> She's just a head. <laughs> She's just a head. Jordana, what we're saying is you should watch the 1996 classic Seven. Starring Brad Pitt and um, uh, Morgan Freeman. Okay. Yes, a movie where famously Gwyneth Paltrow's head uh, walks around and does bits. Yeah, on its little on its little feet, like kind of like a Mr. Yeah. Potato Head kind of vibe. She's got little like cartoon legs that come out of her neck stump. Oh. Yeah, it's really macabre. You've probably read some stuff about how Seven is weird, and a lot of it has to do with the whole yeah, dancing the, the uncanny. Scene. Like they they were trying to do like a Roger Rabbit thing, but it just worked out really uncanny given the subject matter of the film. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, the special effects are fantastic. Mm. I, I like they actually brought in some of the people from Roger Rabbit, as I understand it, some people that Zemeckis worked with. Yeah, but like kind of like it was kind of like under the table, like uncredited, you know? Yeah, well, there were some union issues I heard. And well, you know, 
one thing led to another. Anyway, the point is, Jordana, uh, you would be really doing yourself a disservice by not watching. Just go on YouTube. Just go on YouTube and search Gwyneth Paltrow's Dancing Head, and uh, <laughs> you're in for a treat. Uh, and listeners, you're all in for a treat on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind. <laughs>